Michael Vannin, and welcome to episode 6 of Second Breakfast, discussing Middle-earth. Aragorn's life before the events of the War of the Ring was our topic from last week's episode, where we discussed his time as the chieftain of the Dúnedain Rangers, his time in the armies of Rohan and Gondor, and also discussed some differences between the books and the movies. If you are part of our Discussing Middle-Earth Facebook group, you probably saw the poll we had going for this past week, asking whether you liked how the books portrayed Aragorn or how the movies did. Thanks for those of you who participated. This week we are discussing a battle in Middle-Earth not well known, and it's quite controversial. This episode's topic is on the Dagor Dagoroth, or the final battle in the end times of Middle-Earth. The reason this is a controversial topic is because Christopher Tolkien omitted mention of this battle from the fully published Silmarillion, whereas the early manuscript written by J.R.R. Tolkien does have this battle prophesied. Knowing that, let's continue on and dive right into the context leading up to this battle. The Dagor Dagorath, translated from Sindarin, means Battle of All Battles. It is an end times event in Arda which draws a few parallels to Christianity's Armageddon and Norse mythology's Ragnarok. This event is also called the Final Battle, and is foretold in the second prophecy of Mandos, Mandos being the doomsman of the Valar, overseeing and keeping the halls of the slain. So, Mandos in his prophecy tells of this final battle to end all battles. I will read from the Histories of Middle-Earth, Volume 4, The Shaping of Middle-Earth, in regards to the context of the Dagor Dagoroth, and of the Second Prophecy of Mandos. This excerpt tells first of the War of Wrath, specifically after Melkor's defeat, then goes to talk about the prophecy regarding Melkor thereafter. I'll note here that since this was an earlier manuscript of the Silmarillion, the names aren't all the same as the finished published version, so I will forego the old names and use the new names we are more likely to know. For example, I will omit the name Thu and use Sauron instead. This was the judgment of the gods, when Aeonwe and the sons of the Valar had returned unto Valmar. Thereafter, the outer lands should be for mankind, the younger children of the world. But to the elves alone should the gateways of the west stand ever open. And if they would not come thither and tarried in the world of men, then they should slowly fade and fail. This is the most grievous of the fruits of the lies and works that Morgoth wrought, that the Eldar should be sundered and estranged from men. For a while his orcs and his dragons, breeding again in dark places, affrighted the world, and in sundry regions do so yet. But ere the end, all shall perish by the valor of mortal men. But Morgoth the gods thrust through the door of timeless night into the void, beyond the walls of the world, and a guard is set forever on that door, and Arendil keeps watch upon the ramparts of the sky. Yet the lies that Melkor, Moileg the mighty and accursed, Morgoth Boglir, the dark power terrible, sowed in the hearts of men and elves, have not all died and cannot by the gods be slain. And they live to work much evil, even to this later day. Some say also that Morgoth at whiles, secretly as a cloud that cannot be seen or felt, and yet is, and the poison is, creeps back, surmounting the walls, and visiteth the world. But others say that this is the black shadow of Sauron, 
who Morgoth made, and who escaped from the battle terrible, and dwells in dark places and perverts men to his dreadful allegiance and his foul worship. After the triumph of the gods, Erendil sailed still in the seas of heaven, but the sun scorched him and the moon hunted him in the sky. Then the Valar drew his white ship Vingliot over the land of Valinor, and they filled it with radiance and hallowed it, and launched it through the door of night. And long Erendil set sail into the starless vast, Elwing at his side, the Silmaril upon his brow, voyaging the dark behind the world, a glimmering and fugitive star. And ever and anon he returns and shines behind the courses of the sun and moon, above the ramparts of the gods, brighter than all other stars, the mariner of the sky, keeping watch against Morgoth upon the confines of the world. Thus shall he sail until he sees the last battle fought upon the plains of Valinor. So far, that was all context from when the War of Wrath was won. Morgoth was thrust through the door of night into the void, and a guard was set upon it so that he should never return. But his evil and influence poisoned the world so that his malice and effect is still felt. Not to mention that Sauron had escaped the War of Wrath and continued Melkor's evil in the world. Erendil sailed upon his skyship in the heavens, keeping a watch on Morgoth until the time that the last battle is fought in Valinor, the Dagor Dagorath. Now I will continue to read since it now gets into the actual prophecy. Thus spake the prophecy of Mandos, which he declared in Valmar at the judgment of the gods, and the rumor of it was whispered among all the elves of the west. When the world is old and the powers grow weary, then Morgoth shall come back through the door out of the timeless night, and he shall destroy the sun and the moon. But Erendil shall come upon him as a white flame and drive him from the airs. Then shall the last battle be gathered on the fields of Valinor. In that day, Tulka shall strive with Melkor, and on his right shall stand Feonwe, and on his left Turin Turambar, son of Hurin, conqueror of fate. And it shall be the black sword of Turin that deals unto Melkor his death and final end. And so shall the children of Hurin and all men be avenged. Thereafter shall the Silmarils be recovered out of sea and earth and air, for Erendil shall descend and yield up that flame that he hath had in keeping. Then Feanor shall bear the three and yield them unto Yavanna, and she will break them, and with their fire rekindle the two trees, and a great light shall come forth, and the mountains of Valinor shall be leveled so that the light goes out over all the world. In that light the gods will again grow young, and the elves awake, and all their dead arise, and the purpose of Iluvatar be fulfilled concerning them. But of men in that day the prophecy speaks not, save of Turin only, and him it names among the gods. So there we have the prophecy. Yet in different manuscripts and different writings, there are clear differences. One being that there is no mention of Turin in one writing, and in that writing it is Aonwe, the lord of the Maiar, that kills Morgoth. But in essence, that is what the prophecy states. So let's go into more detail about the Dagor Dagoroth. First we see that Melkor returns from the door of night and destroys, or alternatively hides the sun, as well as destroys the moon, or alternatively, the moon loses its strength. It is at this point where Erendil sails down from the sky like a white flame, a reference to the Silmaril he wields, 
and with him brings the forces of the Valar against Melkor for the final battle. In my primary research looking for details on the actual battle, I've come up short. However, in my online research, I have found some unsourced details, so I'll discuss them and point out here and there if I have found anything sourced. After Melkor returns through the Door of Night, he recreates his army, including the Balrogs, Drakes, and Sauron. Against him stand the Valar, Maiar, and the peoples of Middle-earth, elves, men, and dwarves. What is special about this battle is that Manwe, Lord of the Valar, comes down from his home atop the mountain Taniquitil for the first time since, I believe, Morgoth's first defeat in Middle-earth. Tolkien, in his essay of the Astari, which are the five wizards, he says in response to controversy that Gandalf was actually Manwe in disguise, that Manwe will not descend from the mountain until the Dagor Dagoroth and the coming of the end, when Melkor returns. In addition to Manwe, we have another Vala, this time named specifically, that enters the battle, whose name is Tulkus. Tulkus comes and wrestles with Morgoth in the battle. It does not surprise me that he is specifically named here because Tulkus was actually the last of all the Valar to come to Arda, and it seems it was in direct response to Melkor in the earliest days of Arda when Melkor did not have an equal. He wrestled with Melkor once and overcame him, binding and chaining him the first time. I think of all the Valar, he was the most opposed to Melkor and the most steadfast in his opposition. Beside Tulkus is Aonwe who is the Lord of the Maiar, herald and banner-bearer of Manwe. During the War of Wrath, it was Aonwe who Manwe sent to Middle-earth to lead the hosts of Valinor against Morgoth, which he was defeated and thrust through the Doors of Night. In the writings where he is the one to kill Morgoth, it is because of his great love for Aryan, the Maya who guided the sun, who was presumably killed when Morgoth destroyed slash nullified the sun upon his return. Lastly, in the writing I just read from, we see Turin Turambar. I've only mentioned Turin once so far in this podcast, and that was during Melkor's episode. Turin is the son of Hurin, one of the greatest men of the Edain. Hurin defied Morgoth and mocked him, even upon his capture. Because of this, Morgoth cursed the children of Hurin, of whose stories you can read about in The Children of Hurin, both in Narrative by Christopher Tolkien and in the Silmarillion. Regardless, Turin is said to come from the halls of Mandos for this battle, meaning the halls of the slain. So in some way, shape, or form, he returns from the dead and, using his black sword called Gurthang, slays Morgoth, ending him and the dagger Dagoroth, and of course avenging the children of Hurin, he and his sister. Once the battle is over, the Silmarils will be recovered from the air, sea, and earth, in some writings after the earth had been broken and remade. It is said that Feanor, the creator and crafter of the Silmarils, the jewels he and his sons gave their lives for in greed, will take the Silmarils and give them willingly to Yavanna, who will break them and use the fire within them to rekindle the two trees that gave Arda light before the sun and moon before Ungoliant sapped them of their light tens of thousands of years before. And once their light is restored, the Valar will tear down the mountains that rose on Aman's eastern shore so that the trees may spread their light across all of Arda. Thus Arda is restored. 
Along with this, the elves will be restored, specifically those who died due to Melkor's evil. And the elves, Valar, and Maiar are made young again, thus restoring the world to how Eru first imagined it. You may be asking, why did Christopher Tolkien omit the Dagor Dagorath and the prophecy of Mandos from the Silmarillion despite the early manuscripts? Well, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote that none of Mandos' dooms had declared whether the marring of Arda would ever be repaired. The marring of Arda meaning the evil of Melkor upon the world. Christopher took this as a retraction of the prophecy of Mandos, and therefore a retraction of the Dagor Dagoroth. So if you remember from the episode of Second Breakfast on Melkor, I ended it not with the prophecy of Mandos, but with what the Silmarillion wrote, which reads as such. But Morgoth himself the Valar thrust through the door of night, beyond the walls of the world, into the timeless void, and a guard is set forever on those walls, and Arendil keeps watch upon the ramparts of the sky. Yet the lies that Melkor, the mighty and accursed, Morgoth Boglir, the power of terror and of hate, sowed in the hearts of elves and men are a seed that does not die and cannot be destroyed. And ever and anon it sprouts anew and will bear dark fruit even unto the latest days. Here ends the Silmarillion. If it has passed from the high and the beautiful to the darkness and ruin, that was of old the fate of Arda Mard. And if any change shall come and the marring be amended, Manwe and Varda may know. But they have not revealed it, and it is not declared in the dooms of Mandos. There is further controversy over the prophecy and the published Silmarillion because there's a contradiction. The Silmarillion states that there will be a second music of the Einar after the Valar, Meyer, and Elves are restored and made young again. And in this second music, men will take part, whereas what we heard in Mandos's prophecy that the fates of men are unknown, except for Turin, who is said to have been given a place among the Valar. The published Silmarillion also mentions the dwarves in the end, with a capital E. It says that their beliefs regarding their deaths, For they say that Aule the Maker, whom they call Mahal, cares for them, and gathers them to Mandos in halls set apart and that he declared to their fathers of old that Iluvatar will hallow them and give them a place among the children in the end. Then their part shall be to serve Aule and to aid him in the remaking of Arda after the last battle. This would not make a whole lot of sense if the last battle, Dagor Dagoroth, never took place, which just adds on to this controversy. An article written by Michael Martinez on his blog Regarding why Christopher left out the second prophecy of Mandos is well presented, and I wish to share some of his words. Christopher had an understanding with his father that should J.R.R. Tolkien die before completing the work, the Silmarillion, would become Christopher's responsibility. He had, in my opinion, two reasonably clear choices. To try to preserve as much of his father's work as possible, or to produce a posthumous collaboration. He seems to have striven to walk a middle path, but his effort was so confusing he felt compelled to publish the 12 volumes of the History of Middle-earth to explain what happened and why he made the choices he made. J.R.R. did not finish the Silmarillion. That's something we have to remember. And often, Christopher was working to put the Silmarillion together using contradicting notes that his father wrote, many rewrites, and often 
scribbled letters and notes. In the end, it seems that Christopher thought there was too many contradictions to include the prophecy and the Dagor Daggeroth in the published Silmarillion. And as much as I love the idea of an end times battle, with probably one of my favorite characters in Middle-earth finally slaying the true Dark Lord, I believe Christopher made the right choice. He knew his father's work better than anyone, and researched it in more depth and over a longer period of time than anyone. So, if it was his discretion to omit it, I trust it was the right one. Though it does seem to end the Silmarillion on a somewhat lesser note. But what do you think? Do you think the Prophecy of Mandos and the Dagor Daggerath should have been kept in the final publication of the Silmarillion? Or did Christopher make the right call leaving it out due to all the contradictions? Cast a vote in the poll in the Facebook group, again called Discussing Middle-Earth, and comment your reasons why. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Next week, we will be discussing the Ents. And as part of that discussion, just because I love controversy and mystery so much, we will also discuss the Ent Wives and what happened to them. Farewell.